You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Today we're going to be covering verses 32 to 45. Pastor John Swan's joining me for today's topic. John, this is a fun one, but before we get into the text, and this is going to be the scripture where Jesus predicts his death and resurrection for the third time. So for people who have been with us in the Gospel of Mark, he does it once, or for the first time in chapter 8. He does it for the second time in chapter 9. He's going to do it one more time here in chapter 10. And we're going to see kind of the interaction that that sparks between him and his disciples, and we're going to get into all that. But before we do any of that, I want to start with a question like we've been doing a a lot throughout this series— And here's the question that I think this whole passage is going to inspire for modern day disciples. What are you expecting from Jesus? What are you expecting from a pursuit of God? And John, I think this is a good one for you, maybe a good opportunity for you to share your story a little bit, because you came to faith, you know, when you were more of a young adult, you know, you didn't, you didn't really grow up in a really like a Christ honoring home. You grew up in a kind of a nominal, I would say a nominal Christian home, but you really met Jesus a little bit later and I guess just for you, like, what were you expecting from a pursuit of God? Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's uh, absolutely true. Uh, we were cultural Christians, I would say. Um, I mean, church, church goers, for sure. Uh, not just, you know, priesters, but, but um, church goers. And, um, you know, when I came to that place in my life where I began to really own my own faith. And I was in my early twenties and it, it just was an amazing experience. And, um, you know, I, but it was also new to me. I, I didn't have an understanding of, of even like the different denominations within the Protestant faith, for example, like I, I knew the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism to, to some extent, but, but, um, I, I, it was all raw, all new to me. God had moved me to a place in my life where I was just ready um, to to soak it all in. So I was looking at all these different resources, and um, at the time it was you know radio ministry was big. You couldn't like go on the internet and and look up stuff. So you know I would call into these different pastors on the radio, and I would get get their tapes, get their books, you know, try to send them as least amount of money as I possibly could <laughs> to get the free stuff. <laughs> um but it was it was exciting um and but my expectation around it was now this there, there's a whole bunch that goes into this I'll give you the short version was somebody had given me a book called um oh goodness now I can't even remember the title of the book but it's all about kind of praying a particular prayer and kind of getting what you wanted out of your life Prayer, prayer of Jabez, maybe? Yes, that was it. Prayer of Jabez. Prayer of Jabez. Like, it was, a, it was this, this obscure prayer from the Old Testament of this obscure character, Jabez, and he basically said, expand my territories. And it was kind of right, maybe a little bit on the fringe. I mean, it was a really popular book, but you could definitely take it the wrong way, right? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And so for me at that time, I was... You know, I was in this place in my life. Where I wasn't. I was coming out of college. I I was in the golf business. I, what I really wanted was to be, of course, like a tour player, right? And so, of course, I I I wasn't 
nearly good enough and still I'm not even close to, to that. I know some people who, um, in, in the circles we go in now, I'm considered to be a decent golfer, a good golfer even, because I can beat you, Brian, every now and again. But let me just say, you have to be a lot better than that. <laughs> to be to on TV. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You got to beat, you got to break 80 a little bit more consistently. Right. You got to break yeah. 80. And so for me, like even <laughs> like that was a big part of it was like, okay, God, I, I mean, I, I truly had come to this place of repentance and turning to him, but it was now like, all right, God, let, I need you to bless my plans. And so I would, I remember this prayer, I would pray, I would pray that it was basically God, I'd, I'd, you know, sign up for these small little tournaments in what was called the Illinois section PGA. And I would pray, God, just, I pray that you allow me to play to my, my potential today, you know? And I think back at that prayer, that is such a weak prayer, right? Because actually he answered it. I just found out my potential was like an 84, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And what I, so that was, it wasn't even a really good prayer. You know, I, I hadn't learned the, the word of faith movement quite well enough yet. And if that's something that uh, is foreign to you, uh, essentially I'll, I'll tie this back into this hunger I had. One of the preachers I was listening to online was, was what they call a word of faith preacher. And this is basically where you're aligning your thinking with God's thinking and you're, um, but it kind of, it can go off the reservation a bit where you begin to think you can speak your reality into existence. And um, I was excited about this, this teaching and I had gotten a few of his books and, and some of it was really good. And some of it certainly helped me because, you know, this is, there's this idea that you want to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the word of Christ. Right. And so that was helpful to me. And because the enemy was um, just ramping up his attacks against me all the time, especially as a new believer. And some of you I'm sure can re- relate to that. Um, but um, I, it it had gotten to a point where I was listening to enough teaching by God's grace, and I was reading my Bible every day, too, where I began to, to question some of these things. And so I would call into this guy's radio show quite frequently to the point where they must have been rolling their eyes when they saw my number pop up on their caller ID. But um, I... I asked the guy one time, I said, hey, you know, I really, I'm really enjoying this teaching, um, but I got a question for you. If, if our life is supposed to, you know, come to this place of just health, wealth, and prosperity by following Jesus, then how come the early followers of Jesus, you know, like his apostles and his early disciples, they all died like horrible martyrs' deaths, you know, and there was like radio silence, you know, and he's like, well, we need to go to a commercial and I'm sorry, that's the end of our show. I mean, this is a true story, by the way, this is, that's the end of our show. And, uh, you know, John, we'll get back to you next uh, Monday on that. I will answer that question right from the, the start of the program and boom, cuts to commercial. And I'm like, okay, okay. So Monday comes around and crickets. He doesn't, he doesn't touch this at all. And at that point I'm like, okay, wait a minute. There's something more to following Jesus than just what I'm going to get out of it, than, than my aspirations and, and my, my goals and my, my attempt to elevate myself in, in society. Yeah, and John, I wonder if, I, I bet you we have some listeners of this podcast who are, who are in that place that you were, you know, back in the pre-internet days. Man, you really are old, by the way. So, you know, that you had to listen to this on the radio. Well, you don't, we don't have to listen to this on the radio anymore. You know, we can go on YouTube or we can get, listen to podcasts or, or watch this on TV. And we see, these, we see these 
people, and you said word of faith, another, another term people might or might not be familiar with is prosperity gospel. And it's basically this message, and I really want our listeners to hear to this, because that's what today's message is all about. You know, the question is, what are you expecting from your pursuit of God? And it's easy, especially at the beginning, to have this expectation that God is here to meet my needs, that God wants to bless me, that God wants to give me health and wealth and prosperity. Now, like you said, that's there's some there's some parts of that that there's a kernel to truth to some of that because God does love us. And those who have money and wealth, you better believe it's a gift from God. But here's why I think it goes wrong. And a, and a new believer really needs to hear this. John, you you probably learned this the hard way back in the day. You As you read the Bible and got around maybe more mature Christians, you realized that some of this stuff that you heard from that radio program wasn't, wasn't truthful. As positive as it was, it, it was really kind of setting up these expectations in your pursuit of God that if they weren't met then you were then potentially you would have bailed on God because you thought that following Jesus meant that you'd be the richest guy or the best golfer or whatever. Now I'm kind of I'm using hyperbole a little bit here, but I know that some of our listeners might be in that place where you're pursuing God, you might be a little bit new at it, or even some of you might be longtime believers, followers of Jesus and this might even challenge you to say you need to really be careful about who you listen to and what kind of teaching you're going to buy into. Mm -hmm. Because this is the kind of stuff that tickles itching ears, right? This is like, you're like, oh man, I really want this to be true. I would love for this to be true. But we're going to see in today's text that it's not actually true. It's not true for everybody, for sure. And and God, God might have something different in mind for you than you have for yourself. I mean, John, even for you right now, maybe not to like spoil the whole thing, but eventually you grew out of that. I mean, how do you view that whole thing now? Well, I, I believe that um, it, it gave me kind of an education it, it, in some sense in terms of um, it equipped me uh, to one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about is how um, I've sat down with I, countless guys you know, who are in this life crisis position, who have finally said, okay, I'm in this terrible position. You know what? I've tried everything else. Can I try Jesus now? And I'll sit down with them and hear them, you know, and hear their story and certainly have compassion for them and try to lead them toward the gospel and encourage them in it. But there's one, like, one penetrating question I'll ask. And it's, and it's this, because it's a question that God actually, um, what's the word, propositioned me with, which is this, John, if your life never got any better than it is right now, would you still follow me? Mm. And I remember the words of Peter who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And, 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 and so I asked that same question to these guys and you'd be amazed at how many of these guys, you can just see their countenance completely drop. Like, you mean if it's basically they do the math. Okay, well, if, if this isn't going to fix my situation, I got no interest in it. Because they're not in it for the relationship with Christ. They're in it for what he can do for them. Mm. I'm reading Job right now, John, and it's so interesting, even just with, with this story we're about to tell in mind from Mark chapter 10. 
you know, the, the beginning of Job, Job's an Old Testament book, and Job was this, like, the wealthiest guy in the whole region. He just, the first chapter kind of lays out all the stuff that he has, and basically Satan goes to God in the court of heaven, and he says, he's only following you because of all this, because of his prosperity. I mean, really, this is what we're talking about right here. And so, and God's like, no, no, he's not. Like, he's a genuine believer. And, mm -hmm. and Satan's like, let's, will you let me test it? And he's mm -hmm. like, sure, you can test it. Right. And the whole book of Job is what you just said, John. It's, it, it, Job goes through this test. He starts, the, maybe the difference is a lot of people who are chasing down the prosperity gospel are starting off poor and they're trying to become rich. Right. Job right. started off rich and then he lost everything health, wealth, everything. And, mm -hmm. and for like 40 chapters, the whole book is about Job like wrestling with his faith and his friends giving him counsel. And what did you do wrong? You must have done something wrong. And that, and that to me, that's part of the danger of the prosperity gospel. And so we see it's not even a new thing because Job is, is one of the oldest books in the Bible. And so even thousands of years ago, apparently there's this idea out there that says this, if I'm wealthy, I, I must be doing something right with God. And if I'm poor or sick, I must be doing something wrong with God. And, and Job disproves that, and Mark chapter 10 disproves that, because what, what, what our listeners are going to learn is that following Jesus, following Jesus might not meet your expectations. You might not be blessed in the ways that your neighbor is blessed, and that those are the things we're going to get into today. And so let's, let's get to the next text. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, it says this, the disciples were now on the way up to Jerusalem. Okay, so hold on, pause for a second. So they had been in Galilee, in that whole region of Galilee, which is north of Judea and Jerusalem. Jesus was just leaving that area. He had been doing ministry up there for the last time, and now they're heading down to Jerusalem. And uh, this is uh, like, this is on the way. Jesus knew, I don't think the disciples did, but Jesus knew where they were going now, because Jerusalem was where he was going to be on trial. He was going to end up hanging on the cross, all that stuff. Jesus had a sense for that. The disciples were still trying to understand it. So anyway, that's what they were on the way to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of his disciples. That's just even a great picture right there. And the disciples, it says, were filled with awe. And the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. So we have two different groups. We're going to get into this here. We've got the disciples following right behind Jesus. And apparently there was another group um, of other followers following behind the disciples. The disciples were filled with awe. And the people following behind the disciples were overwhelmed with fear. And so then Jesus takes the 12 disciples aside, and he once again began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Now, he's already said this in chapter 8. People can go back and read this. He's already said this in chapter 9, but he's going to say it one more time. And this time, he's going to be more clear than he's been in those previous two times. He says, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, that's, that's himself, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So Jesus gives all this detail. He's on his way to Jerusalem. His disciples are falling behind. But really, John, I think the best way to describe this whole thing is that this, the, the disciples and even the people behind the disciples were kind of like wandering into the unknown. They didn't really know fully what Jerusalem would have for Jesus or for them. And that's such a great picture of, I think, a lot of followers of Jesus today, maybe some of our listeners today who are 
who are following Jesus, maybe they're new to church or they're coming back to church or whatever. And, and this is such a good picture is they're like, I don't really, I'm not really sure what's ahead for me. I'm not really sure what it's going to mean for me to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and I can, you know, I, some, some of the translations uh, actually say they were in awe and they were afraid and you, you could, it really doesn't matter uh, if it's two groups of people or, or one. The point is, is that you, you definitely were, regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, you could be both, right? Like, like there's times in my faith journey now, I'm, I'm in awe of, of God's grace to, you know, um, lavished upon me of his mercy. And I'm, and I'm still, you know, this, I'll just be honest, still fearful at times, you know, uh, uh, Lord, where, where are we going? And I can imagine just people, you know, so if that's true for me, and I've been walking with Christ for, with the Lord for, oh goodness, now since 1998, so 25 years, that is so true for newer believers for, and then I think of our youth, I think of kids who are you know, let's say high school kids, my kids just coming into this place of owning their own faith and then really, really needing to wrestle with what does this mean now for my life? What is this going to do to my image? Okay, I, I realize I'm a sinner. I need a savior. But now, okay, Jesus, what are you really expecting from me? Uh, Jesus, can I use you to bless my plans for the future, the college I want to go to, the career path I want? Or is this going to look different and it I'm sure it can be scary. And and speaking to the disciples awe, uh I think we can reasonably speculate. Now they didn't they didn't have a clear understanding certainly of what was going on, but like you said Brian, Jesus had been showing his hand, showing that they were they were heading toward some trouble. They were heading toward Jerusalem and it was going to be a hornet's nest. And so they they didn't understand it, but they had to have some idea that um things weren't necessarily going to be smooth. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees had been plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus is talking just openly and blatantly about his persecution and, and death. And so this awe that the disciples have, I, I believe, is because they see Jesus' resolve to walk toward the cross. And as you, you know, Brian, without the cross, there is no Christianity. Jesus didn't come just to be an example. He didn't come just to give feed some people and heal some people. He came. He had a, a mission. And I think it's interesting that the first words of Jesus recorded in Scripture are, um, you know, he, he's a young boy, right? And, and he, his parents uh, leave and leave him behind unknowingly, and they come back. They find him on this little res- rescue party, and they finally catch up to him, and they, they find him, and, they, and he says, uh, you know, why are you looking for me? Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And then his last words are, it is finished. This, this, I'm from the cross. So this is Jesus's mission. This is his goal. And he is set out with a, a certain resolve moving toward his own, his own death. And I mean, think about our lives, right? Like every fiber in our body resists suffering. <laughs> we, we, you know, I, I dig my heels in when I have a dentist appointment, right? Um, so I think about Jesus and this this resolve he had. His disciples certainly were in, in awe of him. 
Yeah, and it's it's funny because once again we see this pattern. And, and for people who've been listening for the last few weeks, maybe you'll recognize this pattern because remember, this is Jesus is getting explicit. This isn't the unknown for him. He knows right what he's doing. And the disciples, if they were really paying attention, should know it too, but they don't really know it. Like the disciples are just, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. So 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 Jesus. He's explained it in in chapter 8, verse 31. He's explained it in chapter 9, verse 31. Now here we are in chapter 10, and he explains it again with more detail. And and so here's this pattern for these three teaching moments. Jesus reveals his mission, number one. Number two, the disciples say something really stupid. It's happened twice before. And then number three, Jesus turns it into a teachable moment. And and this is exactly what's going to happen here, okay? Because Jesus, here he is, he reveals his mission. He says, we're heading to Jerusalem. I'm going, I'm going to die there. Okay. And the very next thing that James and John, the sons of Zebedee say to him, they come over to him, verse 35, and they say, teacher, we want you to do us a favor. It's almost, it's almost hard to even believe what they're about ready to ask. Remember, Jesus literally just said he's going to go to the cross and die. Kind of a somber moment. Talk about like not reading the room. James, <laughs> James and John say, we want you to do us a favor. And Jesus like snaps out of it. And he says, okay, what's your request? And they said, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. So John, this is so funny because these guys are excited. I mean, talk about going into the unknown. They think... They think it was going to be all about glory and honor for themselves. This is why I kind of relate these two guys to anyone who's these days who's pursuing God for, you know, like for what's what's in it for them, like the prosperity gospel temptation. It's in all of us. And James and John weren't immune to it either. Yeah, it is. It is almost comical to think about if it wasn't so sad. In the ESV, it actually says, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. This is the beginning of the name it and claim it. Yeah, right, exactly. Disciples try to start. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I like to kind of bring things down to our level sometimes. Like, can you imagine if, I mean, this isn't an, an exact parallel, but let, let's just say, you know, we're going to war, heaven forbid, and you get drafted and you tell me, I'm, I'm going off, I'm going to fight this horrible war. Um, there's all this possibility of suffering and this and that. And I look at you and go, well, hey, Brian, would you do me a favor? I, I got some favors I need to ask. I mean, if that was the next thing I asked you, <laughs> that would show some really low EQ, would it not? Yeah, hey, I'm going, yeah, I'm going off to war and I'll probably die and I won't come back. Great. Let's take a look at your will real quick. I want to make sure I'm in there. You know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Okay, but anyway, so here's what Jesus says to them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? He had literally had just told, he's pointing them back to what he literally had just told them. He's like, did you not hear me? Are you not listening to me? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? See, Jesus recognizes that they're framing it in terms of glory and he's framing it in terms of suffering. They're, they're thinking about the glory that they're going to get out of it. And Jesus is not just thinking about his own suffering. I mean, glory is involved. Let's not forget, glory will be involved for Jesus and for us. But it's like they're skipping to that and not thinking about what it might cost them in the meantime. 
And so here's how they reply. Oh, yes, they reply. We are we are able. In other words, like, okay, piece of cake, Jesus. We, we got this. Now, Jesus was actually asking, if we just stop right there for a second, this was a rhetorical question if there ever was one. <laughs> Their answer should have been absolutely not. <laughs> we cannot take on this cup and, and, and this baptism, um, not because we can't physically do it, but because we're not worthy mm-hmm. to do it. We're not, we're not worthy, but they say, yes, we, we've got this. In other words, we can, we can do it, Jesus. It, it's, a, it's this proposition that they, they give Jesus to say, uh, basically, listen, um, if, if you will provide these seats of, of glory and, and power for us, then, then absolutely, we can, we can knock this off for you. We can, we can handle this suffering. And it, it almost shows a, a kind of a, a works-based mentality that the disciples have here. Yeah, they were thinking about it in terms of a contract. Like, okay, look, if we do, if we do this, if we go through some suffering for you, then you'll give us, you'll give us seats at your right and your left. Like, we'll, So again, they're, they're still thinking about it in terms of, of what they're going to get out of it and even what they can contribute to it to get that out of it. So it is, it's like flies in the face of everything Jesus has been trying to teach them about you know, receiving the kingdom like a child and recognizing they're powerless, that they can't earn it for themselves. All these things that we've been learning throughout this time that they've been learning, that we've been learning along with them, but they're still not getting it. Valerie and I had been dating for a while and I just came to her and said, listen, uh, you have to decide if you're okay with me loving Jesus more than you. and and I'm head over heels in love with Jesus, and you got to decide if that's going to work for us. And we took a break, you know, and she began to cry when I told her that. And she looked at me, I'll never forget this. And she said, with tears running down her face, I just want to have fun, you know, like Cindy Lauper <laughs> style. I just want to have fun, you know, and I'm going, uh, listen, we're going to have way more fun um, without all the guilt and shame attached to it. And again, this goes back not to, go go too far back here but back to that fear of what what does this involve following jesus but anyway now it's a year and a half later we're married we're visiting this guy that that i was friends with and valerie had met in college and we're sharing christ with him at dinner and you know if i had to do it all over again and if he ever listens to this podcast i just would say to him i'm sorry because it probably felt like to him we were ganging up on a little bit or a lot and i could sense that but we didn't we didn't back off we just kept pressing on the throttle. And at one point he goes, well, what's the big deal? You know, if, if this Jesus guy died forever, the sins of the whole world, um, you know, that's no big deal. I could do that. If you told me like I could, I could die for everyone's sins, then I could do that. And I remember at the time I was a brand new believer believer and it really kind of stumped me and, and kind of back to what I mentioned before that, the answer is, well, no, maybe physically you could be crucified. Other people have been crucified and treated horribly and tortured. But you're not worthy. You're not worthy. Revelation 5.9 says, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to pick up the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood have redeemed us to God out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus was worthy. He never sinned. and And so... This is how the disciples should have been looking at this, like, oh my goodness, we're completely unworthy to, to drink this cup. But instead, they're like, yeah, we, we got it. <laughs> mm. It reminds, John, it reminds me of the maybe the most misunderstood verse in the whole Bible. 
Philippians 4.13, and maybe our listeners will understand this verse. We've, we've all heard this verse, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, I think Tim Tebow made this, po- I mean, it was popular before him, but I think this was the verse that, that he had on his, uh, on his you know, uniform or on his shoes or on his face or something, Philippians 4.13. And so maybe young people, young Christ followers all around the country looked at that saying, that's going to be my theme verse too. Because if it worked for Tim Tebow, that he can do all things, he can be the, you know, one of the best college football players ever to play, then maybe it'll work for me. You're like, you're falling for the same thing that the disciples were falling for. You're missing the whole point. In fact, if you read Philippians 4.13 in context, then you'll read chapter verse 12 and verse 12 says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. So it's funny, John, this is a verse where I think modern day people quote this, like they misquote this because they're thinking about it in terms of glory. I can do all things and I can sit at the right hand of the father. I can do all things. And yet the actual context of the verse is suffering. Just exactly what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Right. Yeah. No, I kind of chuckle here too, because uh, earlier before when you were talking about the disciples not getting it and I think you said something else about them, you know, asking stupid questions and everything. I'm like, someday we're going to meet these guys and they're going to have some words for us. I'm telling you, like, Peter's going to be like, dude, I wasn't that bad. You know, <laughs> Thomas yeah, you, is going to be like, you think I was doubting your, your doubt? Let's, let's look at your doubt, dude. That's true. He's going to say, he's, he's going to say, I've heard all the times you've called me a moron on your podcast. <laughs> And just know we've called you a moron from heaven so many more times. That's true. Right. And 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 my point here is is that we miss it too, right? I um my memory verse this week is is Luke 9, 23 and 24, where Jesus it says, Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life must lose it, and whoever sit loses his life for my sake, we'll, we'll save it. And, and here, here's the, you know, the cross was this picture of, of suffering and, and, and complete like ridicule and, and shame. And, you know, we think of it more as, I mean, we just miss it. We miss it just like they do is, is I guess what I'm trying to say, you know? Yeah, that's so true. In, in Jesus, what he's, what he does here then is he brings this focus back. So he, you know, so he's, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They have this, he talks about his suffering. They have this little interlude where James and John probably embarrass themselves. And then in verses 41 to 45, Jesus is going to kind of close the loop on it. It says, when the, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So they were, they, the word got around and they realized. And so Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to have to just put an end to this, this craziness. And so he called them all together and he said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those around them. But among you, it will be different. Remember, James and John just said, we want, we want the highest positions. And so now he's like, guys, you're missing the whole point. And I mean, this is, this is, this is going to sound like the same thing we've been teaching the last couple of weeks, because it's just over and over, Jesus is trying to get this message through to his disciples. You're missing the whole point. It needs to be different among you. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And then he says this, 
For even the Son of Man, again, that's what he called himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and here it is, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he brings it right back. He brings it right back to what he was, what there's, what he's setting out to do all along, what he knew his mission was all along. It's all about him going to the cross. And really, that's the lesson for all of us. It, it's a pursuit of God is about Jesus. It shouldn't be about us. It shouldn't be about trying to grab glory for ourselves. I mean, at the end of the day, it just should be all about Jesus. Absolutely. Have you ever thought about why these guys were indignant? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm speculating here again, and again, we might get in trouble for this, but in heaven someday, but it's because James and John beat them to the punch. You know, they were thinking, wait a minute, we, <laughs> we, we want that position. And Peter's going, oh my gosh, how did I not think of this? I should have gone and asked that question before you guys even got there, you know, probably. But um, yeah, uh, I, I, I think about the fruits of the Spirit, right? And I think about Galatians 5, 23, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We blow by those, right? But um, patience... What's another word for patience? Uh, and if you've got an older version of the Bible, what do they what do they say? Long suffering. This is one of the fruits of the spirit to be long suffering. We live in a day where we have mitigated suffering to waiting sixty seconds for nachos in the microwave, right? Like that's what patience is for us. But can you imagine um, at, at a, a, a church, a, a people of God, who is committed as they abide in Christ to be long suffering? For one another, um, just as Jesus was for these guys, you know, who just who didn't get it, um, you know, and and for you know, I think I think we we are so quick to want to see people's faults and 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 speak truth and love to them, but and help them change and become better people. But I think Jesus sets the example, and and we're supposed to be long suffering for people. We're supposed to move forward with the gospel with the same resolve that he had toward toward the cross, even if it means persecution. And in our country, maybe not physical persecution, but certainly emotional, mental persecution. And it could certainly lead to lack of provision if you lost your job and that kind of thing. And and I think um, this is what the disciples all ended up doing, right? Willfully doing, because they they saw the Lord of glory risen from the dead. And so nothing was going to stop their resolve, even if it meant um, dying a martyr's death, to press the, the kingdom forward to, to share the gospel. So, John, let's go back to that question we started with at the beginning. You know, we, we told people to be, be asking this, is what are you expecting from a pursuit of God? So here you are 25 years into it. Um, have your have your expectations changed? Like, how do you think about that question now? Now that you've been doing this for more than two decades, yeah. Well, I think of uh, Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus in the garden, um, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup of suffering from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours, be done. So I, I have a, a different posture now before the Lord, and and I trust Him that 
even though my life may not look anything like I expected. And it hasn't. I've gotten everything I needed and will continue to get everything I need from the Lord in my relationship with him. Because that's, that's my, if I were to have one expectation now, it's, it's to meet my Savior face to face and to be with him. Um, and, and if that means a, a life that, that is void of some of the goals and aspirations that I, I had um, to, to have a, a purpose that's greater than myself, then that's an awesome thing. And, and it fulfills me way more than hitting a golf ball. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you're not the only one who learned that lesson over the years. I think we can just to get, show a little bit of love to, to John, not you, but the John who, who's in this story, the guy who looks pretty foolish asking to sit at the right hand of Jesus. John's the guy who wrote Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it, he, at this point, he was an old man. He was exiled. Um, and he says this in Revelation 1. He says, All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So maybe John was trying to get some of the, grab some of the glory for himself, but he the longer he journeyed with Jesus, the more he realized just how foolish and misplaced that thought was. And he really did, by the end of his life, he did hopefully what all of us can do, is really to make it about Jesus. And even if that means suffering for following him, even as we walk into the unknown, and probably some people are doing that even now, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're following Jesus and they're wondering what it's going to cost them. You know, our message to you, I think that what we can learn from the example of the disciples is it's worth it. Whatever, whatever it costs, it's worth it because you get everything you needed, you know, but nothing you expected. One of the things I realized early in, in my faith walk, probably not early enough, actually, but I did finally get this, is that this is what we sign up for when we, when we follow Christ, is that he gets all the glory and we get all the grace. 